Hello and welcome to another edition of the American Scouser podcast. I'm your host, Timuchin. No, I'm not that Turkish devil. I am Gally and I'm here with Bickler. And unfortunately, we are without our fearless leader and host tonight as he is out with the wifey doing a little, um, I think it's some tree lighting and some holiday uh, viewing of big trees in the outdoors. So I uh, can't wait to hear about that. And well, I mean, we also can't wait to hear about the Grinch's Christmas. So Mr. Bickler, how are we? I'm doing good, man. It's always a great Monday when you started off with your ex-wife backing into your car. Um, so, I mean, we're off and rolling this week. Um, so started off with a nice insurance claim and all that good jazz. Um, Christmas was good. It was a mix of both worlds. I got to go up and uh, spend some time with the boys and their mom. And so I got the both uh, best of both worlds because I got to like – watch them open their stuff and build stuff all day with them. And then about three o'clock, four o'clock in the afternoon when the in-laws started getting out of control, like I just kind of split and went home and did my Grinchy who business, which was awesome. Little who hash, little extra beers, yep. maybe some snow angels in the living room. Yep, exactly. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, uh, Christmas was good here in Massachusetts. Gotta say um, it was wonderful as always hang with the family see my mom and my sisters and my nieces. Got to give a quick shout out to my uh, to my father-in-law who purchased me my favorite gift, which is my brand new Liverpool tee that I'm wearing tonight because I got the coolest father-in-law in the world. Um, Jerry Buck, you're the dude. And uh, Kelly is out with them right now in Western New York. They are probably reveling in their Buffalo Bills beating the New England Patriots yesterday. And for all of those people out there that aren't from New England, you should have been rooting for Buffalo yesterday if you weren't. And uh, it's always good when the Empire loses, right? Yes. That was a good game. Good game. It was a great game, and, and they earned it. It was a lot of fun. Um, and our Christmas was great. It was low-key, quiet. And uh, we actually got dinner at a casino, real local. Uh, had an awesome meal, just the two of us. And at the end of it, she's like, are we going to gamble or are you just going home? And I was like, it's King Christmas, Kelly. Of course we're going to do a little gambling. We took out 200 oh, yeah. bucks and left and left with two grand. Go Gallivan. That's the way to do it, man. Go Gallivan. So, um, you know, thanks to everybody here that's uh, chimed in. Um, you know, Cosgrove jumped in with a Merry Christmas to the boys here. Uh, we're missing Tim tonight, but we will get right at it. Um, so before we do, I guess it wouldn't be a podcast without oh no oh yeah it's coming i can feel it oh something is coming at some point it'll show or it Dude, won't. you can tell maybe. by how hard you can tell by how long that took to load that like trivia didn't even want to show up this week it is true it it, it, it is not uh having any enjoyment or part of this right now right no. um i don't blame so, it so with that um we will take this for what it is here and the trivia segment so Figured on uh, with the League Cup being here, the match we're going to review from Leicester, thought we would review the last time Liverpool brought home the League Cup trophy, which isn't the trivia question because that was 2012 and that would just be too easy, Paul. So the final result in that match between Liverpool and Cardiff City was 2-2 after extra time and on penalties. So give me one of or both the Liverpool goal scorers that day. Oh, son of a bitch. I thought I had this trivia. Wait, I think I know one. Because I think this is the year we had those, like, incredible, like, like light blue, like, bluebird jerseys as a third kit. And I think one of the scorers was Craig Bellamy. Oh, the Cosgrove's already Googling. We gotta we gotta shut down the comments, man, because I can see these comments. Uh, yeah, we gotta figure I, out how I to was pull gonna, that off. Yeah, man. I was gonna go like I honestly thought it was gonna be Craig Bellamy, and for some reason I thought maybe Andy Carroll, but I judging by but, Google over here with Cosgrove, I'm guessing I'm wrong. Bell Bellamy did score, I believe, in the semifinal of that run, okay. if I'm not mistaken. Right. Um, so we're gonna toss this out there then. I'm gonna I'm gonna respectfully say Cosgrove is very, very good 
at um, Cosgrove is definitely very, very good at jumping in with an answer for us. So I will give you a little bit of an extra here. I will give you, or I will ask you, who was the man of the match? And we'll let you think about that, simmer on that one for a little bit. Uh, glad to see the wife is listening from Western New York and that my father-in-law is happy, which is always a good sign. So we'll take down the trivia. We'll come back to that a little later as far as uh, exactly who the man of the match was that day. And it was an absolute shocker for me when I looked up who that man of the match was. Um, I probably would have guessed players until next week's podcast without ever putting man of the match and that man in the same sentence. So we will move on to the second most painful and fun thing that we do each and every week, which is a quick fantasy update. As Paul's name uh, will show you here is his free hit my ass. Uh, as many of us took the free hit and or took the tumble in the fantasy standings this week, uh, based on the fact of three more canceled matches and, you know, United just not showing up today as Ronaldo was the key player to put on your roster instead of Salah, unless, of course, you are looking to not catch your wife. In that case, captain him each and every week when he gets one-pointers. It's a great feeling to know that you have an awful team. Um, but Kelly extended her lead. She's still at the top of the American Scouser table. I'm getting a little closer, uh, but she is in uh, a commanding place, and I, I don't feel good about this. I won't lie. I thought I might come in today and having overtaken her and pipped her for the league, and like usual, I was let down by my entire roster. So, Paul, anything from your fantasy team? I know you're uh, frustrated with the lineups and the uh, locks as always, so give it to us. Yep, I actually didn't use my free hit this week just because I figured there'd be cancellations after the game's locked, which is exactly what happened. Um, so thank you, Fantasy EPL, for giving us a free hit. That's completely useless, considering the fact that like they decide to uh, lock games for the entire week. Like what? It was at 8.30 a.m. Central Time or, or Eastern Time. The game week of, despite the fact that there are games over three days that are oftentimes canceled within an hour and a half of the game. Um, so, yeah, like it is, it is the most poorly run fantasy game in all of the land. And I've been playing fantasy sports since the early 2000s. So um, I didn't use it for that reason. Um, I may use it this week. I know I'm running out of time to make that decision, but uh, once again, it's like I don't understand the point of a free hit given to you if it just doesn't matter because the game leaves locked so early. I don't understand it. Yeah. Well, I will say this will be our last time we'll talk about fantasy tonight because I didn't have the good week that I hope to have. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll spend extra time during the week in which I do overtake the wife. Um, that might come two, three seasons from now, but we will spend extra time that week on that segment. But here's your last public service announcement. The games start again tomorrow. So you got to get your rosters in by, I think it's 1.15 tomorrow afternoon uh, to make sure you get any changes because we do have a full slate of matches tomorrow, Wednesday, and Thursday. And we're going to get to those matches in a little bit. But first, we thought we would talk about the Leicester match midweek um, in the League Cup. So... To start here, uh, I think we were all a little surprised when the lineup came out and we saw that, you know, Jurgen really rotated. And I know that it was um, mine and Paul's opinions that we wouldn't see this much rotation. We both felt that really as a whole, he probably didn't put out his best lineup to win the match. And I think that was evident by the performance in the first half and the fact that he made the subs he did. So, you know, when you first saw this, Paul, you know, I know we chatted in the discord channel, what were your thoughts and what was the, tell me about how you felt about it and his approach to this tournament and the trophy at hand. Uh, well, I mean, I hated it, and that's no surprise from anyone who, like, has heard me run my mouth about this for, like, a week now. Uh, like, 
So my thing is, is like I felt that the lineups, as strong as they were in the dead rubbers and Champions League, were negligent and reckless in the fact that if we got one of our key starters hurt in a game that didn't matter, it was going to cost us a lot of money and placement and things in the season down the line. So I wanted more rotation. <laughs> and I've wanted more rotation across the board, right? I mean, we've talked about that in general. So now here comes the opportunity for rotation, right? No, because for me, we're in the quarterfinals of a domestic cup. And I know people call this like a Mickey Mouse cup. I don't, I don't buy that shit. I know that like over the course of like the season, we have a lot to, to go for. But I think with this team, it's historically good. And I think it deserves and it's good enough to win across multiple fronts. So I expected in the quarterfinals of a domestic cup to see a much stronger lineup than this. To me, this is a preseason lineup. And Leicester is got their fair share of injuries, but they really have one thing to play for right now, and that's for these domestic cups. So I expected them to come out with a somewhat strong lineup. Uh, I don't buy that this was a forced selection whatsoever. There's, there's players that could get plugged in across the board here. I mean, there's just no reason that you're pushing – your second string right back to right wing to make room for Bradley to bring in Comatillo. This is a preseason lineup full of U23 kids in Henderson. I just don't get it. Like I do not get it across the board. I didn't get it when we played it. Honestly, we should have been down five at the half. We were lucky to be down only two going into 25 minutes when Morton should have been sent off. Can you imagine being down like three goals with 10 men? and you're not even at the 30-minute mark of the game. And that's what should have rightfully happened because we were being run off the pitch, and it's because the gap in quality was so severe. Um, so, yeah, I think – I mean, the three substitutions at halftime, I get really frustrated because everybody's like, oh, what a master stroke of management by Klopp putting in, you know, Milner and Jota and Kanate at halftime and really turning it around. Those are the three fucking players that should have started. They should have started. You come out, you put two goals in on a torn down Leicester City side, and then you sub in three guys like at half that are kids. Like, I, I just don't like to me, it's like I don't understand it. And like I get like we gotta we gotta stop with the clops like a genius with these halftime substitutions because those were the only substitutions that made any sense. And the only reason they were made is because we were getting absolutely destroyed. And we're really I mean, Purr has got a broken leg. I mean, I feel yeah. that, like that was a like Tyler Morton's a baby. He's a baby, but that was an awful challenge. And it's the same challenge that we just basically freaked out about Harry Kane making. The only difference is Harry Kane knows better. And I think Tyler Morton was caught up in a moment where he's playing football and they're just getting absolutely destroyed. But I, I feel bad for Pereira and, and like we were very, very lucky to have 11 players on the pitch at halftime. Yeah. You know, why there's no VAR um, at this level of a tournament that is being played for European places makes no sense to me. I understand that the lower level leagues, they, they can still host matches at this round of the tournament and they don't have the cameras. Well, then the Premier League needs to do a better job of bringing portable cameras to these stadiums to allow for VAR. I don't believe you can play a tournament where you can have VAR in the semifinals and beyond, but not have it at the lower end of the tournament because it really changed everything for Leicester. Let's be honest. Tyler Morton sees red immediately. If VAR takes a look at that challenge, he should have saw red in real time. The idea that yeah. he wasn't sent off for that challenge um, is, is borderline criminal. Uh, I feel for Pereira because he tried to push on. He's had a, gut, a gluttony of bad injuries um, over his last few years here in England. And when fit, he's arguably one of the top left or right backs in all the Premier League outside of the big clubs. I honestly believe he could play at the big clubs. Uh, he has the skills and the talent. And I feel like he's never had an opportunity to show it. And when he does get a straight run of health, it, it, it's great for him. And, you know, he tried to push on, and I think that's what caused the hairline fracture. And it looks now like he could miss, like, a year, which is just, just, very, very sad. And again, I feel for the young lad because, you know, Morton looked overwhelmed in that match. Um, he had to come off at halftime. I mean, I, I just don't think that that was even, you know, uh, a, a real decision. You know, 
you knew we were in trouble when three kids were starting in a quarterfinal of a cup game wearing a number 80 on their back. And you're pushing Nico up front, you know, a position he hasn't played. Um, you know, if I'm, I guess if I'm Ty Gordon, I'm, I'm a little bummed because I figure why am I training with the first team if this isn't the opportunity I get to play? when you're going to play a, a, a backup right back in front of me that's been asking for a move. With that being the case, he should have just started Ox in midfield and he should have started, you know, Chucky and, and Bobby up top with Joda from the jump. I was shocked that neither Mo or Mane were, weren't even on the bench. I was happy that they got a day off. Um, I do think it was important. Um, but the starting of um, you finally give Gomez run, and you start him next to a guy – Gomez clearly doesn't have his pace. And you start him next to a guy who's literally running in quicksand. I mean, I, have you ever seen I, – I feel like Nat Phillips would have won a race with Kamito, Kamito or whatever the hell his name is all over the pitch. And this is Nat Phillips we're talking about. And you got to be gutted for Nat because that game screamed, you know, Nat swan song. That would have been probably maybe his final infield moment. So I really feel for him not being there. Um, but to the match. So let's talk about the first half, how poor they played. Where do you feel, outside of the lineup, of course, where do you really feel that this team was struggling in that first half? Because I felt like it was Gomez at the back. Um, I felt like he was trying to overcompensate for being the leader. And I just feel like without his pace, he's a pedestrian player, and he looks honestly a shell of himself right now. Yeah, so here's the thing about Gomez, right? We know that he's been the longest to sort of rehabilitate uh, post-surgery. And the has been very open about that, that he was like the – he was the one that was is sort of the slowest to come back, right? And obviously we're seeing the quick, quick twitch, and we're also seeing the top-end pace off of it. And that's really scary because usually you'll see pace come back, but the, the, the quick twitch stuff is a little bit slower to come back. But he looks like he's been affected by both. And like – this just comes back to like just bad management, in my opinion. Like you're starting to do that, you know, is struggling across the board, and you put two teenagers on either side of them. One who's not even your second string teenager. You move that guy all the way up the right wing. You've got your third <laughs> string dude back there. Like in like, you know, Gomez didn't definitely didn't help himself. He he coughed it up right in the middle of the pitch. Like you know, there are like four spots on the pitch you just don't want to give the ball away, and he gave them away all within the first fifteen minutes of the match. It felt like, and then I don't know how many times it must have been. Like I kid you, probably like five or six within the first 15, 20 minutes, where all Madison in that and Telemans in that midfield did was just split the center backs. They just split. They just threaded the ball straight up through Gomez and Billy, like consistently. And neither one of them had the pe the, the pace to to catch Daka. And Daka was just basically chipping it over to an open Vardy for both goals to open the match. And I mean, it was just we got exactly what we deserved in the first thirty minutes of that game. We really, honestly, did not deserve to come away from that game with anything, certainly not going into the semis. Um, not to take anything away from that side in the second half, because I thought we, like those guys came in second half and played lights out. And that has a lot to do with the mentality of this team. Like to me, this team won in spite of its manager, which there's only a handful of times. I think we can say that during the entire time you're getting Klopp's been in. And it's a great point. And, you know, sometimes we get critical because we're doing this podcast every week and we talk about, you know, how we feel that they should set up what we believe they should be doing. And obviously we're not, we're not there in training. We're not going to pick up on each of his, you know, little idiosyncrasies, but trotting out a team that I felt looked like you were trying to basically drop the competition. I mean, to me, that was a lineup that smelt like if we win, I'm a genius. And if we lose, I can just be like, well, we have to play in 24 hours. And then we have to play again in 48 hours. But you knew that going into the match. So, you know, the, that's why I didn't love not seeing Ox in that lineup. Um, I understood Morton being there. I will say this. Can we all now say that it wasn't just Tyler Morton playing four against first because Henderson wasn't next to him? 
because Henderson played yeah. next to him and he played a board. Um, so I, I, I just think that that's one of those things. The kid's got a lot of upside. He's doing amazing things. And I'm sure in training, he shows them every day that he's close to being a first teamer, but you know, he's also close to being built like a kid that plays on Saturday mornings, you know, around the corner from me, that's 14 or 15 years old. And I just don't think he physically has the tools yet to compete at that position, especially shielding the defense when that defense is another 18-year-old kid and uh, a center back who is probably at about 35%. And saying Gomez is at 35% might be actually being kind to him. Because really, if it wasn't for how bad Billy the Kid was playing on the left of him, Gomez would have been the one hooked at halftime. So we get to the second half. We come out. You know, Madison scores the worldie, does his little celebration in front of the clock. And by the way, I'm all for it. If you come to Anfield and score a goal like that, you deserve to go do whatever the bleep you want. And if your fans are trashless and worthless enough to make fun of the homeless getting fed, they deserve the comeuppance that they get when we come back and drop them on you and win it in, in extra time and in uh, over the penalty. So let's go to the goals in the second half. Um, what, what can we say at this point, Paul, about Jota other than the guy just delivers goals? He's just a killer. I mean, he reminds me a little bit. I mean, he's a sexier, more direct version of Dirk Cow, who's one of my favorite players of all time, just because it's not the on the ball like skill that jumps out of you. They're, they're not going to do it. He, he's not going to do anything that just blows your mind off the ball, but like he's just so, like, he's always in the spot the ball drops. Um, and I just think he's such an intelligent footballer. He just reads. He reads where to be. Like, he just knows where that ball is going to be. He's consistently in danger areas. Um, and I think, like, I don't know, man. Like, I was I, I was wrong about him. When he came in, I thought this is another guy that we bought for position versatility because he's going to be able to play three places across the top, and he's going to be able to rotate. But, like, he is – not the guy that's going to replace these dudes down the line, in my opinion. I thought like he was bought for depth for Sadio Mane, and he would be good depth at that, and that would really be it. But he has legit locked himself into the starting three at this point, which is crazy um, when you look at how talented that top three is. So, I mean, kudos to him, and he's an absolute killer in front of goal. Like he is so clinical. Um, and then we can laugh at we can we can look back and laugh now. In the scope of his career, his short career at Liverpool, and all the incredible goals he scored, and then he misses the one versus Wolves, right? So, like, we can laugh at that. Uh, I will maintain the fact that I think that that was a harder chance than most people do. Um, we can debate that on another night, but um, absolute killer. Um, yeah, great. I mean, I mean, he should to me. He's 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 locked in right now in this team, and that's that's crazy impressive. Yeah, and, and to Ben's point, and to all of our uh, our listeners and viewers tonight, please chime in, you know, like and share, uh, bring new faces, bring new ideas. We love your comments. We love uh, actually being able to interact with you throughout this. So to, ben, to Ben's point, and I agree, I, I think he has earned himself a spot. I'd also argue, though, that of all of our front three, four players, whatever you want to call them, the big four, that he also offers – the most immediate impact of any of our players from a substitute position. And I don't think that can be overlooked as Bobby gets more and more comfortable and gets back to his best and Sadio starts to fire again, having a guy like Jota to come off the bench in a big spot and actually change a game. And, you know, I think that takes us to, you know, the other hero and almost goat um, from from last week, which for me was probably the most bittersweet moment of the match, was Taki getting the opportunity late in extra time, drawing that thing level, that look of sheer joy on his face that you see every time he scores a goal, 
which in the Carabao Cup is one every like 14 and a half minutes or something ridiculous. And I know that is an exaggeration. People don't go looking it up. He's got six goals and a lot more than 76 minutes. But he is doing his job when given an opportunity. And for him to get that goal in extra time, celebrate with his teammates. And I was just so ready for him to slot in that penalty and be the hero and be the guy. And when that ball went off the crossbar, I looked at two non-footy fans next to me. And I literally was like, it couldn't have happened to a worse guy. And one of the guys is like, why? What's going to happen? This isn't like, he just scored the goal that tied it. I was like, but for whatever reason, he's so polarized right now that the fan base is like split on him where half of them feel like he's their little brother and they need to root for him to success. And the other half feels like I told you this guy was a failure when he showed up for seven and a half million from Salzburg and he's never been good enough. So what was your take on him taking the penalty, the penalty order? I mean, I still have a hard time that Jota isn't in the top five penalty takers for the team. That to me seemed a little bit odd. Yeah, that's a weird one. I don't usually get into like penalty order stuff just because I think there's so many moving parts. I mean, I, I was happy to call out England because that situation was ridiculous in the Euros when you had all your veteran players basically duck the PKs. Uh, I don't think that happened here. Yeah, I was surprised to see Jota not come top five on that. Absolutely heartbreaking for Taki, in, in my opinion. Like, I was so uh, – man, dude, that hit me right in the gut just because, like – I mean, it reminded me, not that this has ever happened to me, but like if you, you've ever walked into a class on a Wednesday and found out there's a test that you thought was on Friday, that's what Taki looked like because it just looked like the moment was too big for him. Like there's just certain situations in sports where a moment just looks bigger than the player can handle. And like when he, when he stepped up, he just kind of had that look like the, the moment was too big. Um, and so, yeah, you, I was absolutely – yeah, I, I was I – was, Go ahead. I would say you referenced it. I'm sorry to cut you off. You referenced it as a perfect example. I knew there was zero chance that Saka was making that penalty for England as he stepped up, knowing that there that this continuation was on his foot. He never once looked like that ball was going in. And the idea that in Sancho too, for that matter, to be honest, and and the fact they were put on there as late as they were and and set up as teenagers to go basically reap and take all the hit for a country of people waiting for it to come home. You know, it's not home because it didn't start there. Um, but you know, it, it just, it, it, it screamed a naive approach. And I almost felt like that was the situation with Taki. I bet if you send Jota up there and he kicks it off the crossbar and Taki gets to step up knowing, Hey, I I'm going six now. And maybe he may slap that in. It was almost like he knew it was his moment. And he was thinking yeah. about the moment before it even occurred. I think there's two sides of that coin, right, though? like Because if, like, Taki sets up and he nails it and he's the actual hero where he gets the game winner, then gets the penalty, what does that do for his confidence? Where does he kick on? You know, no. like, that could be a, that could have been the moment that really kind of pushed him over the edge and sort of transformed him into a different player for at least a temporary period of time uh, based on form. So, I mean – it, it's tough to say, but yeah, when you walked up, you just didn't feel good about it. And it was really like, I think we kind of all on discord were like in agreement in the fact that it was just uh, as happy as, as awesome as that moment was for Diogo to go in and just get it and just give one to the, like the fans, your heart broke for talking. Cause you know, that was his moment And and honestly, he's had some big goals for this, this club. I mean, people act like he just doesn't do enough. He gets, he gets pushed around physically on the, on the pitch. The fact of the matter is his goals per minute stats are great. He When he's out there, he's scoring goals. And so, like, you just felt like this was his moment really to be fully embraced by the entire fan base and appreciated in a way he really deserves. And it felt like he had that moment stolen. I'd agree with that. And I, I'm, I'm excited to see what will happen in this next month because I do think he's going to get a lot of run. Um, I expect him to probably start both of the ties against Arsenal in the semifinal. Um, and I think a side like Arsenal playing a little bit, uh, you know, they, they need to really worry about the Premier League. They need to finish in the top four. They may rotate a little bit. 
they're down a few players in the African Cup of Nations as well. So I could I could see Taki really thriving against an open Arsenal team in those League Cup semifinals. And I and I hope he plays well enough to earn himself a chance to play at Wembley. I know we'll go with our most, you know, best eleven, but I think if you're the leading goal scorer in a competition, you can you can argue for at least a spot as a substitute in a final if you lead the entire competition in goals scored. So um, Arsenal is the draw, Chelsea Spurs. I really feel like we have to go try to win this thing. I feel like this is our uh, trophy to win at this point. Um, but obviously we'll move on. We'll move on to the Premier League where we were one of the unfortunate six sides this weekend to not have a, a fixture on Boxing Day. I can't lie. I had a little work to do in the morning that morning, so I wasn't all that upset that we weren't uh, screaming at the TV and I wasn't pounding down Miller Lights at 7.30. Uh, but we take our day off, the COVID outbreak from Leeds. We prepare for the Leicester match. What are you expecting out of this side tomorrow, Bickler? Uh, and how many of the Thiago, Fabinho, Virgil, of those three – how many of those do you expect tomorrow in the starting lineup? Um, yeah, man, I think you're going to see. I don't, I mean, I don't know, man. I, I think we could see like a Milner situation, like a Milner Henderson midfield, which we all hate for obvious reasons. Cause it's just like for like, and it's, it tends to be rather boring, but like industrious, which is what's needed. Uh, I don't, I don't, I think we're going to play it safe with some of these guys like Tiago and Fabinho. I think we're going to play it a little bit safe. Um, I mean, I think ideally what you'd want is to have some of these guys come in and get 30 minutes before Chelsea just right. to get some match sharpness. Right. But you look at Leicester and you look at the fact that it's coming right before the Chelsea match which is a huge – it just has big implications on the title run. Um, obviously, I, I mean, that's just my feeling. I don't know anymore, man, because like Klopp seems to rotate when I don't want him to and I don't think we need to, and then he tends to, to – I, I really don't know. But I, I think that you're going to see sort of a mix in general. I think it's going to be a fairly strong back line, um, and I think you're going to see a mixed midfield – um, and I think you'll see some rotation through the front line too. I don't really know who, but I think you'll see some. Because the bottom line is that Leicester is down six defenders. They're down three fullbacks and three center backs. And they're essentially playing now a back three, and two of those three are midfielders. So, like, I think you can get away with some rotation in sort of the more advanced areas of the pitch. Um, I still want to see it strong enough that we're banging in goals on them. Uh, but I think you can get away with it. I mean, they're, they're decimated across the back. So it would be really disappointing not to go in and score goals and get three points. So are you thinking that you see some type of rotation um, along the lines of, of like a Mane or a Mo getting a rest from the jump? Or do you think with only two games and then them leaving for AFCON, maybe this is where both Jota and Bobby even sit from the start, knowing they're going to be playing so much down the stretch over the next, you know, 30 45 days. Yeah. For some reason, for some reason, I think Mo's going to play. I could see uh, like a Jota for Mino Mo lineup. Okay. I could also see, I could like, I would also not be surprised if you saw, I don't know where, I don't know where Rigi is with this fitness, but I could see like a Rigi or Taki even taking that left, that left advanced position. Um, and then seeing Sadio Mane come in for 30, 35, that makes sense to me. Uh, just you generally got to take a game out of Mo's cold, dead hands for him not to start, um, especially in a league game. So I think he probably starts, but hopefully gets an early hook. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't really, I wish I had a better answer. I really don't know. But I, I think I would be very surprised to see like Jota, Mo, in Mane all in the same three starting with Chelsea on the horizon. Yeah, I, I was thinking the same way with, with, you know, just the, you know, it is four or five days. Um, 
turnaround before the Chelsea match, but that's an enormously important game. Players will be leaving for international duty, you know, Naby and, and, and uh, Mo and Mane. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if Mane gets a rest purely because I think Jurgen knows that Senegal has every, every bit the chance to go win this tournament. And he might be playing on February 2nd. And Mane will play every key minute for that team through the group stage, knockout stages. You know, that's, if there's one thing that Senegalese team does is not give two shits about anything about their clubs. Like, they've made it clear they don't care. They play the players. They play them injured. You know, and I understand that. They're there to represent their countries. Um, and the players want to do this. And I, I think Mane is probably one I worry more about. I think Egypt actually, believe it or not, does a better job of protecting Mo because I think they understand he is the national team. Where in Senegal, I think Sadio Mane makes them go. But they have a lot of other talent around him. They believe they can win this tournament and springboard an opportunity to do something special in the World Cup. And I think that's the difference. I think they're the one African side, you know, outside of that old Ivory Coast team from, you know, six, eight years ago with Drogba and, you know, Yaya, Birthday Cake Tori, um, and all these guys, you know, really thinking and believing that they could be that, you know, elusive club or that elusive country from Africa that actually goes far in a World Cup. So I can see Senegal being something that Jurgen uh, protects himself against. So what do we feel this match will look like? Do you think they will be shaky? Do you think this will be a little bit of a grudge match? Do you think Leicester will be trying not to concede six like they just did on the weekend? Like, where do you see Leicester's head at coming into this match? And what about Brennan Rodgers? Well, I, you know, I look at that result versus City that they just had, and I think – I think that doesn't I – th I think that bodes well for Liverpool in a number of ways. Uh, a, Leicester's confidence has got to be shaken. And B, Liverpool's got to be saying that and be like, okay, we can do eight. You know, like, I mean, this city is the team we're chasing. They're the benchmark. They're the they're like – they're 24 robots that go out there every week and get it done. Uh, and, and they just don't drop points after the new year. So, like, I think that we're going to look at that and be like, okay, that's the measuring stick. That's that's what we got to go do. Uh, so I expect that first 30 minutes that we had uh, against us in the cup, I expect that to be flipped. And I expect us to just in incredibly – like I, I think that we should just be shredding them for, for the duration of that, the, at least the first half. And that's what I expect to see. I expect us to see us come out for blood um, for a variety of reasons, but whether it be the, the emotions of the cup match running over and, and all the sort of banter and, and the bad blood that was happening there. Um, I, but I expect us to go out and, and try to hang four on them in a half. Yeah, and I, you I, know, I, think you're... I was just going to say, Rodgers is a good question. I don't, I, I, they had such a good transfer window and they're so decimated by injuries. I don't know. Lester is generally very, very patient with managers. Like, I think they've got a smart, I think they've got a smart board at that club. And I think they'll look at what's happening and be like, look, dude, we can't cut the cord on this dude. Who's had us so close to the top four and the top five when he's been this, this decimated with backline injuries. So I don't think that they're going to do anything drastically in, in, in look at a different direction and cut Rogers um, as much as I don't necessarily fancy him. I think he's going to get some time. Yeah. And I think winning a trophy, you know, putting silverware in a cabinet has to speak for something last year. Yeah. Winning the FA cup was a big, was a big step forward for them. Um, do I think they've come up short? I do. Do I think sometimes the way he handles himself and I mean, what is being proven is, is he still struggles when he has to compete with people who put up offensive game plans against his defensive approach. And I really have said this for a while now. He really needs a stronger defensive coach. Um, and I know he loves Colo Torre and believes Colo Torre will become a amazing coach someday. And I think he will. Um, he might have a little too much faith in him though, as his like defensive expert, they get crushed on set pieces. They give up goals. And for as much as Casper Michael gets credit sometimes, and I think his last name helps him get credit, probably more credibility than he's due. 
he has had a horrendous 18 months as keeper for Leicester City. And from about January of last year, he has conceded soft goal after soft goal. So the one thing I'm looking forward to is I'm looking forward to Allison putting some of the nightmares of the King Power Stadium behind him. Because for me, this was one of those matches last year that was like the, everyone talks about the Everton match. People talk about the 7-2 demolishing with Villa with Van Dyke in the lineup. But for me, the capitulation of taking the lead against Leicester in the second half and then Allison making the two boneheaded mistakes and losing 3-1, to me that was just like the spiral of last season. Um, so I think they go in there with their tails up high. I think you're right. I think they're going to come in and want to get on the front foot, put some goals in. And the other thing is, is you don't want Jamie Vardy running at your back line. And they clearly rested him against City because they knew that he was the player that would be able to, you know, would be the player that would be able to, um, to hurt us and hurt our back line. And I think they knew what they were doing. And kills me to see Daka get hurt because uh, I think he was about to get a starting run in that side. And I, I really do believe, I know me and you were all over it, Paul. I think he was the signing of the year in the Premier League. I think three years from now, they'll triple their money and he'll be playing at, you know, one of the biggest clubs in England, if not the biggest clubs in the world, depending on who they are at that time. And he's an absolute stud. But I also still believe that Jamie Vardy offers something that you can't coach, which is speed to outrun old people. Um, so enough on the Leicester match. I think um, we're going to transition over to the Chelsea match in a moment. But before we get there, real quick, couple minutes, what was your take on the festive fixtures, uh, the Boxing Day matches that we saw across the league and as a whole? And where do you stand on the five substitute versus three substitute row that is happening between the likes of Jurgen Klopp and one Sean Dyche? Yeah, I mean, I understand both sides of this. I really do. Um, I think for, for me with Jurgen, it's, it's, like the problem that I have with Jurgen Klopp taking up this banner is that it's a weird hill for him to die on because the fact is, is that he doesn't fucking rotate. Right. Like, so like, why, why do you give a shit if you have five subs that you're going to use in the 85th minute of a match? Like, you know what I mean? It's just, it's just a weird, it's a weird hill for Jurgen to want to, to plant a pole on and, and lay down. Like, I don't get it. Um, and then I, I definitely understand Burnley's point. Like their point is, is like those squads are built much shallower, you know, like, so what you're basically doing is you're giving a two man advantage to the bigger squads to rotate players in, um, in the quality of those players is going to be, you know, I mean, look at city, dude, They've, these guys are bringing off the bench are $45 million players. You're looking right. at, you're, you're looking at a squad like Burnley and, and, in, in the smaller club, like the Brentfords and the Norwiches, they're bringing in either U23 players, players that are teenagers loaned out by Chelsea, or uh, like, or or some guy they picked up for like $45,000 versus $45 million. It's just a huge gap in quality when you're dipping into the benches. So I completely understand it. And, you know, Jurgen's thing is that, like, you know, we're one of the major, only major, like, uh, leagues in all of Europe that that doesn't that doesn't allow that and and I think it's a little bit different because to me like I think there's more parity in our league and I think that's what makes it great like I, that's that what makes it great so if you're going to further separate the the big six or the bigger clubs from from the bottom I think that affects the quality uh, for me so I don't know I mean I guess I I almost it feels weird but I almost side with with three. For, but, like, also right now, like, with the COVID situation and all that's going on, five would be nice. So, like, I'm going to I'm gonna put I'm gonna put my feet firmly on both sides of this fence and have no stance whatsoever. Brilliant. Um, yep. I think that I – I think I actually do agree from a health and safety standpoint there should be five subs, and I don't think that's disputable. I – can't believe I'm going to say these words out loud, but I actually think if I were weighing this argument, I'd side with Sean Dyche um, because the competitive balance is that it actually helps the bigger clubs and there's no two ways around that. And it's the bigger clubs asking for this for a reason. 
and they want it because they want to rotate their guys more out of fear of injury. But again, this comes back to the crazy fixture pileup and the fact that we play through the winter, the fact that they play, you know, through the Christmas period. There is no reason other than television and independent rights to play a game at 12.30 lunchtime England kickoff and then 5 p.m. Tuesday. There's just no way in literally 50 hours you should be turning around a football match and think that these guys aren't going to get muscle injuries, other problems. And then they talk about the quality of play. And that that's what upsets me is that Pep and Jurgen they go up there and they say, well, you know, we can't compete. And, you know, I think Jurgen once said, you know, when asked about a lineup in the Champions League, he said, it wouldn't matter who I wanted to play. The physios picked today's line. And what he wasn't saying, like the physios get more say than me. He was saying the medical team told me which players had a risk of muscle injury. And therefore they did not start today. Like this isn't my best 11. This was the 11 I was allowed to play. And it's a little sour grapes because he's the same guy who probably ran that player out 72 hours earlier for 93 minutes when they were up four nothing and he could have got him off at the 70 minute mark, but instead he yanks him at 92 to give some 18 year old a runner um, and clap off at the clock or clap off at the top. So before we transition here, um, I will say one thing from the weekend for me, um, the play in the league, it is down. The COVID is definitely hurting. The holiday fixtures are hurting. Uh, but I can't lie. I love watching the matches all day. I love watching the highlights last night. I was happy to have the match back on, you know, today. And I'm not going to lie. Tomorrow I'm going to be excited when they start kicking off at 10 a.m. and I can start listening. So just so everyone is clear, matches start tomorrow as if it were a regular weekend. So get those fantasy lineups in by 8.30 a.m. when the roster locks. And uh, we will uh, transition over to the Chelsea match Sunday, prime time, last match before the AFCON break. What do we expect? Not as much from a lineup. What would you expect the performance to be like? And what I mean by that, Paul, is, is how do you think Jurgen will line up to try to combat a Chelsea side that's honestly struggling right now to both score goals and not concede them. They are struggling, but they are also getting a lot of bodies back. And I think, you know, that bodes well catching them now because I think they're trying to figure out what their best lineup is now that like Lukaku's back and a lot of these guys are coming in. You know, Mount's been in such great form. Do you drop him? Like, I, you know, they've got some things that they're going to have to sort out. So I think in that reality, we're catching them at a decent time. I still think they're the best team in the league defensively, even though they struggled lately. Um, I think I expect it almost to be the opposite of the Leicester match in that I expect the flow of this game to be very cagey, almost like the first leg of like a champion league heavyweight fight uh, where like everybody's just kind of pinging it around, but nobody's really like trying to get in a breakthrough. Um, so I, I think there, I think chances are going to be extremely limited on both ends in that team and that, that game. I think it'll probably be a, a lower scoring match. Um, man, it's going to be a good one. It's uh, there's, there's good players across the board, but I expect it to be pretty cagey and pretty tight. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. I, I think we're going to see, I think we see a reserved approach. I think that's a game Liverpool may come out. We never sit back. Let's not kid ourselves. We try to score in the first 15, 20 minutes of every match. I think that's part of our DNA. But I could see us sitting back a little bit, uh, withstanding a little bit of the pressure. I think they're going to come out of the blocks flying, and I think that is going to be a big, big option. And, and I do actually – I agree with Ben here um, that um, he believes that Mo and Trent are going to absolutely target and torch Marcus Alonso – I think for all the good Marcus Alonso gives you going forward, you can definitely get at him on the left-hand side. Uh, and I think he will struggle with Mo's pace. I think the big key, um, we'll have to remind David here that, uh, that Robo can't play in the match against Chelsea, unfortunately, due to the game being 
canceled on Sunday against Leeds or postponed. So we will get the uh, the Greek Scouser, which I actually think might help a little bit because I think we could do with his balls in, uh, both from set pieces and uh, really combating the back three of Chelsea. And I think that's one thing. I think that is a match that Bobby Firmino will start from, from the jump. Uh, I think his link-up play, dropping deeper, and really combating the N'Golo Kante, Jorginho um, pivot is going to be really key. Because I think that match is going to be won in the midfield. Uh, I think the difference is that's the match where I need to know I get a fit Fabinho, Henderson, and Thiago midfield going at him. Because I think Thiago's uh, ability to dictate could really nullify what Jorginho does well. Um which, you know, if you ask any Chelsea fan, is basically nothing. Um, but that's what Italy feels like, too, and all he does is show up, play every minute, and win. I just find it funny. Jorginho gets banged on by every Chelsea supporter I know. They all can't stand him. Yet they've had four managers since he's been there, and he's the first name on the team sheet for every single one of them. So he's doing something right, right, at, at some point. I always love those guys. I, I think we have one, right? It was Jordan Henderson. We would just ridicule him, ridicule, ridicule him, and every manager would show up and be like, but I just want three Jordan Hendersons. And if I did, you know, what was the old argument? If you gave me 11 Jordan Hendersons, I'd never lose. I think that's what Klopp said once. Like, I could have 11 of them, and I know I'd win because I'm going to get more effort out of everybody. But so we know that Jordan Henderson's a shit center back. We saw that last year, so. Well, I was going to say, right, did we not learn? Did Brendan Rodgers not learn anything from watching us? Yeah. You're better off playing 15-year-old kids that run like Billy and frickin' cement and quicksand than you are playing midfielders at center back. Because all they do is end up injured midfielders who played center back. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess it's prediction time. Uh, Prediction time. Let's start with the Leicester match tomorrow. What are you anticipating from a final score? Ooh, I'll go something really weird. I'll go like 5-1. Ooh, I like it. I am going to go on the heavier side, not as heavy as 5. I say we get the clean sheet tomorrow. Um, I'm going to go 3-0 to Liverpool. And what about for the Chelsea match, Paul? Man, I'm going to go – I'll go like one nil. I think we, I think we'll squeak one in there. Uh, I think it's going to be a dogfight though, and I think it's going to be, man. I'll even go as far as to say it'll be like some sort of scrappy ball in the box that falls off a set piece to Jota, who just happens to be in the right place at the right time, and always and just puts it in far post and sticks it in. That's a that is a brilliant uh, that's a brilliant take to where that could go, uh, Ben. Ben's positive here. Ben's rolling 5-1. It looks like the Leicester match, 3-1 the Chelsea match. Dave gave us a scoreline of 4-0. I'll say for this Chelsea match, I do think they'll score. I I can't do any more draws because I want to win this damn league. So I'll say Liverpool ekes it out 2-1 on the road. A a Mo penalty uh, and – a goal like you're talking about. And who the heck knows? Maybe maybe this is the Greek Scousers' first goal in a Liverpool. Could be Matip's moment, man. Could be Matip's moment. I mean, maybe the giraffe goes on a run, gets into the box, just takes Thiago down the, you know, down the channel and just buries one top shelf. Do you know one day he's going to slalom 80 yards up the pitch and he's going to put it in and like, dude, I don't I hope that I am not in public when that happens. That's and I'll leave it at that. So, we would be remiss to not get back to the whole purpose of the podcast and our trivia. So, I was going to start today's trivia, Paul, by basically asking you a layup, like, what is your middle name? Because I wanted you to get trivia right. But then I was afraid you might not remember your middle name. It's fair. Or misunderstand the question, as Timuchin likes to set you up with. So, also fair. any guesses for who the man of the match was during the 2020 league final? 
Yes. Uh, because you gave me a very important hint where you said that it was a player that you never would have guessed. And this team, if I remember correctly, is full of bangers. Like, I think, okay, I think Gerard and Suarez automatically can't be them because you would have guessed that. Back. So then I start thinking about, like, well, like, dude, Maxi Rodriguez, I think he was on that team. I know Charlie Adams is on that team. Both, and then my both were on the team. Neither are correct. I I have a strong suspicion, and this is just laughable because, like, I actually really liked him as a player, but he struggled at Liverpool. I just don't think it was his level, even though I liked him. I, I have a weird feeling it's like Stuart Downing. It sure the goddamn is. Straight and out of Middlesbrough. And if Kelly was if Kelly was still listening to this podcast right now, so Kelly and I got together basically in 2010-11, so like right when this was happening, right? And Kelly used it, and she didn't really understand yet, and I didn't even understand the game yet. I was trying to figure it out. I was learning everything about it. And Kelly used to say, I honestly believe you don't dislike anyone more than Stuart Downing. <laughs> I like him. Stuart Downing. But I think the problem I had with Stuart Downing was was that not that he wasn't a great player, his times at Middlesbrough, he played well with Villa, right? It was the fact that they went out and they went out and signed him because they lost Fernando Torres. They spent the fifty million dollars on Andy Carroll and were like, ah shit, we just signed a big thumper who needs crosses in the box. Yeah. Go get Charlie Adam and Stuart Downing. And it was like, yeah. seriously. Stuart, Stuart Downing is definitely – he is the rescue animal that you bring home that knows one trick really well and won't do any others. And so you just like – you embrace that. And you're like, all right, good boy. Good, you know what I mean? Like, and, I think, he, <laughs> and that was a one trick, right? I mean, he could yeah. hit it down the wing. He literally was me when I was like 13. He kicked it to the corner. He ran as fast as he could. He outran the fat kid playing left back, and then he crossed it with his left foot, and he just hoped some lump who was a lot taller than him put it in the net. And, you know, maybe like four times in his Liverpool career it worked. Um, but, yeah, he was the man of the match. I'm pretty sure – look, there it is. I'll tell you what. Does she know it or does she know it? That name still rings. True. That's shocking. It is really shocking that he won man of the match in that because I just I don't I don't remember it. I just running down the names that I could think of that would be long shots. Like I knew it could have been Charlie Adam because if he was going to be man of the match, he would score on a free kick, right? Like so, like that's that's I crazy. Got, I think he got both assists because I think Skirtles was a corner that he headed yeah. in. I think, and then I think um, he also might have scored one of the three penalties. Okay. Right. Might have helped them, which is another crazy stat, right? That they won a penalty shootout 3 2 and missed their first two penalties taken. Yeah, it's wild. I still have, like, I think the only reason I remember that, like, match lineup at all is because I have the program. Like, so I've, like, you know, I've, like, got one of those match programs. So I've looked at it, like, I probably haven't looked at it in years, but I'm sure I looked at it loads, like, you know, after we won it. But that's wild. <laughs> You know, nobody brings up the fact either. We played Carter City in their stadium yeah. because Wembley was under renovation. Yeah. So they played a home game in a league final. Yeah, that's um, crazy, dude. And we still found a way to – oh, yeah, and Kelly, <laughs> Kelly is right. I didn't even remember. Dude, I'm so glad I didn't remember that. I would have totally – I think that's just PTSD. Like, I try to block Glenn Johnson out big time. I was just going to say, um, and Kelly does know, if there were two things, it was basically Stuart Downing going forward and Glenn Johnson running backwards. And I remember someone tried to explain to me once that we had England's best right back. And my response to that was, then England needs some new right backs. And I think the problem was that Glenn Johnson was fully convinced he was Stuart Downing. <laughs> like, well, you're like, you're like, Glenn, you know, you gotta, you gotta go back, man. Like you, you can't just, I mean, this is like, I guess we had Moreno do the same thing, right? Alberto did the same thing, but. Yeah, you know, it, it just shows, you know, I think it just represents exactly how far this this club has come um, in, you know, the 10 years, the 12 years since it was that we last won this thing. Man, we really do have to, uh, you know, I, I really do believe we need to get out there. We need to figure out a way to win this tournament. I think it would be nice to win uh, a domestic cup. I know people call it, you know, you mentioned it earlier, they call it the Mickey Mouse Cup, the Gummy Bear Cup. 
you know, they, they pick about the, the moose cup, the caribou beer and, you know, all this different stuff. Yeah. It's a trophy at the end of the day. It's a trophy that these guys will be able to say that they won and nobody criticizes Pep or any of his guys for their winner's medals. And that's because they have a lot of them. And I think for Jurgen and these guys to be recognized as the great Liverpool side that they deserve to be recognized as, they need to pile up as many of these trophies as possible. And I hope we give it all against Shrewsbury. I hope we go for it in the FA Cup. I'd love to win one of these two. Um, obviously, I want the Prem and, and, the, and the Champions League as well. Um, but I really think we need to focus on it and just keep adding to the silverware. And who knows, maybe we can add a new – a new number to Kenny Daglish's T-shirt. I don't know if anybody saw that. I tried finding the picture. Uh, he had one of he had a, a basically a Liverpool shirt made of all the trophies, and it was his ugly holiday sweater basically, and it was basically the trophy cabinet with all the different numbers underneath it. And uh, it's pretty cool that a guy like Kenny is still rocking the arrogance on social media to basically still give the double bird. And for anyone who doesn't know, it was King Kenny who was the manager that last time they won that trophy. So he was pretty proud of that uh, uh, afternoon in Cardiff as well. So that'll do it for us tonight. Uh, for myself, filling in the big chair here for Tamuchin. We hope to get the uh, Turkish dictator back next week, back in control, back in charge. Me and Paul will just go to be the blowhard sitting in the corners, just talking and uh, hopefully making you guys laugh. We appreciate your likes and your shares. Thank you for tuning in, and uh, we hope you all have a wonderful new year, and uh, we'll be back in touch with you next Monday night. Bye, guys.